Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. The death of Ashley Babbitt at the hand of a still unnamed Capitol Police officer is one of the most secrecy-shrouded police shootings of our time. We're likely to know more when a civil suit is filed by her surviving husband. This week's Full Measure focuses on a story that I know there's a great deal of interest in. Four months now after those Capitol riots, there is one verdict And that is, there was only one homicide that day. And that was that of an unarmed protester named Ashley Babbitt, an Air Force veteran who was shot and killed by a Capitol Hill police officer. Prosecutors have announced that they will not charge the as-yet-unidentified officer who is an African-American lieutenant on the force. But that's far from the end of the story. First, let me say that I was not able to get an interview with somebody directly representing the Capitol Police officer who did the shooting. The attorney for the police officer said he would do an interview, but then never really closed the deal. He did issue a statement and some information to the press after it was announced by prosecutors that the police officer would not be charged. We will have some of that in the story on full measure. I also was not able to get an interview on his behalf from the Capitol Police, so my producer... Daniel Steinberger and I set about trying to find somebody that could reasonably provide the police officer's viewpoint, at least as best as we can figure it. And you know me, I certainly often believe that in split-second life-or-death decisions, police officers have to make very tough choices without all of the information. And even though we can replay the video in slow motion and second-guess a lot of things, well, they're handling this in real time. It's very different for the officer. For my story on Full Measure, I spoke with a former Baltimore Deputy Police Commissioner who heads up the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, Jason Johnson. You will hear from him in the report. And he actually told me that he had not entirely made up his mind as to whether this qualifies, the shooting by the police officer, as a justified use of deadly force. But he was able to make the argument from the officer's viewpoint based on the facts that we have and what we see in the videotape. And he points out that the officer has certain information at the time, and he's trying to make his best decision based on what he knows. And Jason Johnson pointed out that the officer likely knew at the point in which he shot Ashley Babbitt that there were a lot of other violent things happening in other parts of the Capitol complex. There were officers in some parts being assaulted. There were some chemical agents being dispersed. Some people were being beaten. There were some people that could have been armed with guns. I don't think they confiscated 
firearms from anybody or many people, but there were people using bats and other things, beating in windows. And the officers likely had briefings or knew that some people coming to the Capitol were after certain members of Congress. And so, Johnson says, the officer felt in that moment, likely, that if the entry was breached, now, mind you, he was inside a lobby that leads to the House chamber. So there is this room between the protesters and a hallway that they were breaking into, and then there's a room, and then there's a House chamber where members of Congress, by this time, either the last ones were being evacuated or had been evacuated from that room, but some of them still remained at the Capitol. So this officer may fear that the people, if they make it through, if they breach this area and some furniture that somebody had placed in front of this doorway, if they got past it, he may have thought in the spur of the moment that they could present a deadly threat either to himself or to members of Congress or other staffers or other police officers if they were able to get to those other people. And so that would justify reasonable use of deadly force. In fact, that's what prosecutors found. They announced in the past week or so that they would not be filing charges against this police officer. In a statement, the U.S. Attorney's Office that investigated said, quote, acknowledging the tragic loss of life and offering condolences to Ms. Babbitt's family, they found there was no evidence that the officer did not reasonably believe the fatal shot was necessary in self-defense or in defense of the members of Congress and others evacuating the House chamber. So there's a very specific burden that is used that has to be met, a pretty high burden, to be able to charge and prosecute a police officer for allegedly improperly using deadly force. You would pretty much have to get inside his mind and think that he shot even though he didn't think that he could be in danger or that the people with him inside that room could be in danger. Hard to prove that, hard to know that. And quite frankly, even when a police officer makes a bad decision, a bad split-second decision, and this happens, they're often protected from prosecution under the auspices that they acted in good faith at the moment. Jason Johnson, the former Baltimore Deputy Police Commissioner, said that there's a name for this. It's called lawful but awful, meaning it may not be how you want things to turn out, but it also may not be against the law. That's where it came down as far as potential criminal prosecution of this attorney. But I think there's still a lot of questions, and you are going to hear um, from the attorney for the widower of Ashley Babbitt in just a minute, because he's planning to file a civil lawsuit. This is separate from criminal prosecution. There can still be a civil case and civil allegations filed. But a couple of my thoughts as a journalist looking into all of this, and you'll see a lot of the videotape, by the way, of the incident on full measure if you watch our report this coming Sunday. But to me, there's a question as to why we are not allowed to know the police officer's name. And there's a reason for that. The Capitol Hill Police, the agency, is not like other police agencies. They are under the authority of Congress, and as such, I'm told they enjoy the same exemption as Congress does from freedom of information laws. In other words, on most police forces, all of this information, the name of the officer who conducted the shooting, the name of the victim, all, all of this would be considered public information that any member of the public can access 
or at least can obtain by filing a Freedom of Information Act request under the law. Not so with the Capitol Police Force. Also, these officers don't wear body cameras. So we have some views of what happened, but we really don't have the camera that would have been on the officer that would answer a couple of outstanding questions, some of the things that are in dispute. We can't look at any camera that he had running to find the answer to some of those questions. You may say, well, why should we get to know the name of somebody who ultimately wasn't charged and perhaps was receiving death threats? Well, I will only tell you that I've covered enough cases over the years that when names are kept secret and we rely on prosecutors to conduct an investigation we don't know much about, and then we as members of the public and journalists are not allowed to do sort of our own due diligence, there are things that we might find out that we would never find out if left up to prosecutors and shrouded in secrecy. I don't think the prosecutors in this case had any ill intentions, so let's take it away from this and into the realm of the theoretical. Let's say there was another case in which the prosecutors were in the tank for the officer who did the shooting and then were allowed to conduct the investigation in complete secrecy without really anybody from the outside being able to do some due diligence and know a little bit about the background of the officer or other information that could be relevant. I think it's important to know. And as uncomfortable as it may be for the poor officer to have his name out there, particularly when in the end prosecutors determine there's no reason to charge him, that's still just how the system works. And I think the secrecy becomes even more questionable when you look at how so many police shootings are treated, where the name of the officer is released very quickly. And yes, even though they are receiving death threats. I sometimes hearken back to the case of Michael Brown, the 18-year-old African-American suspect who was shot and killed by a white Ferguson, Missouri police officer named Darren Wilson. We knew his name, Darren Wilson's, right away. And in the end, as you may know, the Eric Holder Justice Department under the Obama administration concluded that Michael Brown never did raise his hands or say, don't shoot, that he was attacking Officer Darren Wilson, had done so repeatedly, and was attacking him again when he was shot justifiably, again, according to the Obama administration after a lengthy investigation. But we knew Darren Wilson's name. Now, will we know the name of the Capitol Police Lieutenant who shot Ashley Babbitt? I think we will before too much more time goes by because when the lawsuit is filed, the civil lawsuit, his name will be used. There's no obligation on anybody's part to keep the name secret. So I suspect it will be reported at that time unless some in the media decide to take a pretty unprecedented step, taking maybe a political position and not reporting the name even though it's available. Before we hear from the husband of Ashley Babbitt, let me read you a little bit of a statement put out by the attorney for the unnamed Capitol Police officer. This statement was put out in response to the Department of Justice, U.S. Attorney's decision not to charge the officer. Attorney Mark Shamel said, quote, this is the only correct conclusion following the events of January 6th. The lieutenant exercised professionalism and fantastic restraint in defending and protecting members of Congress. His bravery was nothing short of heroic he stopped the rioters from gaining entry into the Speaker's lobby and saved the lives of countless members of Congress and the rioters. His heroism should be no surprise to those who know him. He is a decorated veteran with a distinguished career with the USCP, the Capitol Police. 
The events of January 6th have again proven his valor and his steadfast dedication to the safety and sanctity of Congress, the Capitol, and the United States. The attorney for the officer goes on to say, As unfortunate as it is that the lieutenant had to resort to deadly force, he fired only one shot at the person who breached the locked doors and makeshift barricade that had been erected. He did so after clearly identifying himself and ordering the mob not to come through the barricade. He used tremendous restraint in only firing one shot, and his actions stopped the mob from breaking through and turning a horrific day in American history into something so much worse. An attorney who works with Shamal named Anna Jara said, as shown by the extensive video footage and witness accounts of this violent event, this was an absolutely justified use of force and the nation owes the lieutenant a debt of gratitude. And now, Terry Roberts, attorney for the husband of Ashley Babbitt. And you're the attorney for... Aaron Babbitt, the, uh, the next of kin of Ashley Babbitt. And Aaron Babbitt is who? Aaron Babbitt is the husband of Ashley Babbitt. Okay. We now know that prosecutors are not going to charge the police officer who shot Ashley Babbitt. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, uh, the fact that a prosecutor doesn't bring charges in a case does not affect the right to bring a civil action. So it has no real bearing on my decision to bring a civil action. Um, but we think that was the wrong decision by the prosecutor to make. If we were to look at some of the videos, and there are several out there, of the moment when Ashley Babbitt was shot, what do you think it shows you that makes you think you have a case? Yeah, it, what it clearly shows is the use of excessive force by the officer. The officer is using more force than necessary to achieve a lawful goal here. What is his lawful goal? His only lawful goal would be to, I guess, prevent Ashley Babbitt from coming into the speaker's lobby or to arrest her if she should come in. Uh, he could easily do that. Any rookie police officer could merely get out there, establish his presence, and arrest her uh, with a set of handcuffs. Uh, she's an Air Force veteran. Uh, I feel 100% confident that she would have obeyed any kind of order like that. I mean, he is off to the side in a room, and I am, she's on the other side of that door. It's, it's, it's a very loud, tumultuous, and I believe she doesn't even know that he's there. So I think if he'd have just come out, established his presence, give her a warning. In fact, that's fundamental before you shoot somebody. Give, some, give them a warning, which she would have complied with, this would have been the end of it. Instead, he used a lot more force than necessary to achieve a lawful goal. It's like taking a sledgehammer to kill a gnat. It's just over, overkill, to use a bad word. We can see in the videos he was not wearing a police uniform. Is that right? Right. And you know who he is even though his name's not been released. I feel very confident of who he is. Also, we should say that it is not one of the names that's been widely circulated, you believe? I, well, if you, it depends on what you mean by widely circulated. There have been a couple of names out there, but uh, the name uh, Bailey is not the name of the individual. That's true. How can you be sure in the video, particularly because it was loud, that he didn't issue a warning? Because his defenders say he did 
tell the mob or the crowd or Ashley Babbitt to halt, and he did issue a warning. For several reasons. One, we've interviewed several witnesses on the other side, on the same side of the door with Ashley Babbitt. They didn't hear any kind of warning. Two, if you watch the video, uh, he is behind, he is in a room. He sticks his arm out. Uh, if if I think a reasonable officer would know, given the noise on the other side of the door, that anything that he's saying would not be heard. And then three, there's no indication that if he's yelling an announcement of some kind, that the officers on his side of the door reacted to that. In fact, if you watch the video carefully, there's an officer in a suit that strolls across the hallway at the time that he is supposedly yelling uh, an announcement who doesn't even seem to react to that. So uh, there, those are three important factors why we think he didn't give a, an announcement. The other thing too is police saw an announcement to be meaningful must be audible. That means the officer has to know looking at the circumstances that he's got to get out there into the center of the room and make a clear announcement, establish his presence so that and lock eyes with Ashley Babbitt so that uh, she could know that he's giving a warning. I mean, people don't understand this, but uh, there was a barricade that was established on the other side of the door from Ashley, consisting of desks, chairs. She would have had to maneuver through that. It would take a little bit of time and plenty of time for him to give a clear announcement to her. Uh, I, I feel very confident that she had no idea that he was even there. Can you explain in simple terms what's the difference between what you have to prove to make a case and what kind of case that would be versus what would be a criminal charge which isn't going to happen? Well, the standard of proof is different. We, we only have to prove our case by a preponderance of the evidence. The elements are essentially almost the same. In a criminal case, the prosecutor would have to prove that the officer acted willfully. The problem we have with the U.S. Attorney's decision is that he felt that he didn't have enough evidence. We feel he has plenty of evidence to show that he acted willfully. And willfully only means that he understands what he's doing, he's acting intentionally, and knows that what he's doing would violate the lady's constitutional rights. If he's a well-trained officer, and supposedly, and he should know that by shooting someone who's unarmed and who's not immediate threat, he's violating this lady's constitutional rights. That's willfulness right there. Some are calling the protesters insurrectionists. You told me earlier that the worst crime that you think Babbitt could have been charged with had she survived was something like trespassing. Explain why you don't see Babbitt and the mob as treasonous attackers who are trying to overthrow the government. Okay, well, you've thrown Babbitt in with the mob. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any footage showing how she got in. A lot of people entered through open doors. Um, so I don't know that uh, anything about how she got in or if she committed any kind of crime at that point. Uh, but uh, I believe it would have been She's not supposed to go into the speaker's lobby. It's not posted against trespassers. I don't know if they could have really establish that she committed a crime by doing so, whether she had the requisite intent. But assuming that that was a crime, the officer had probable cause to believe she committed that crime, it's only a minor offense. It's, 
it's not punishable by the death penalty. So, you know, you can arrest that person and uh, she would deal with the charge later. Why, what, what have you learned about why the officer's name is being withheld? It's pretty unusual in a police shooting, in my experience, that we don't know the name of the officer, whether he's guilty of a crime or innocent, you know, as part of a justified shooting. I mean, I've had a call with the general counsel for the Capitol Police, and he just says that's their policy. It's an unwritten policy, but it's their policy. Now, I, I don't think that in a free and, and uh, democratic country, uh, it, and it's not the tradition in this country, not to disclose the identity of a police officer. You know, in, in autocratic countries, dictatorships like Russia, for example, people just get wiped out and no one knows what happened or who did it and and so our country is different and we would expect a police agency of the United States Congress would have enough transparency and care enough to identify the police officer. I don't I really think it's counterproductive for them to not identify the police officer in this kind of a case. Um, it's led to a lot of speculation which is harmful to maybe an innocent person uh, who had nothing to do with the shooting. So uh, it, it does no good for anybody. What about freedom of information requests? Normally the press, at least, or members of the public even, can file a request for that. Yeah, well, unfortunately the Congress exempted itself, as it does in many cases, from the freedom of information laws that it passed. So it, it would not, it does not honor, and I've been told this, they do not honor uh, uh, a FOIA request. So we're not going to get it under the Freedom of Information statute, unfortunately. Do you anticipate any sort of racial component or sensitivities because the alleged shooter is allegedly an African-American and Ashley Babbitt is white or was white? The problem with the case is that the case must be looked at uh, independent of the politics, independent of the racial uh, information in the case. That's the unfortunate part, though, is that people take it into account. However, when the case gets into a courtroom, there's no um, racial litmus test that's used. So uh, if people would just put that to the side and look at the case fairly, I believe they're going to see, they're going to follow the law, apply the law fairly, and reach a just result. A couple of things that have been said by the officer's attorney, when want to get your response to. He stated the lieutenant, he says the police officer is a lieutenant, exercised professionalism and fantastic restraint in defending and protecting members of Congress. He says his bravery was nothing short of heroic. And by shooting and killing Babbitt, he saved the lives of countless members of Congress and the rioters. He himself is a decorated veteran. And on January 6th, again, proved his valor. The nation owes him a debt of gratitude. Uh, I disagree strongly with that. I mean, when you shoot an unarmed person who's not a threat to the officer or any member of Congress at that moment, that is not bravery. Um... Shoot, I forgot the question that I was... Oh, what's the next step for your suit? It'll be a civil lawsuit filed where? 
Okay, I haven't decided exactly where it's going to be yet. Other steps have to be taken before I can file the lawsuit. We have to establish uh, an estate, which is being done now in the state of California. We have to give certain notices. This takes a little bit of time. So I'm not, uh, it's not imminent that I'm going to be filing a lawsuit. Um, is the there any time. question that you plan oh, to do no so? Oh, there's no question, yeah, there's no question about that. And when you go. say the suit will claim a violation of Ashley Babbitt's constitutional rights, what right is that? That's the Fourth Amendment right which protects her from unreasonable seizures, okay? It's in a seizure when the officer fires a gun and hits somebody with a bullet. That's a, a seizure. It must be constitutional. In this case, it's unreasonable for the officer to use more force than necessary to take her into custody or to stop her movement. He didn't need to shoot her. That's clear. So it's a violation, a clear violation of her Fourth Amendment right. And will you name the officer in the lawsuit? We will definitely name the officer. You probably have to. Oh, we definitely will name the officer in the lawsuit. Is there anything else on the videotape that stands out in your mind that you'd like to direct people's attention to? Well, I think that uh, one of the things that stands out in my mind, or a couple of things, is uh, that there's plenty of police officers around. There's, uh, interestingly, there were three police officers standing in front of the door when the crowd approaches. Those on Ashley three, Babbitt's side of the door. Yeah, Ashley, excuse me, Ashley Babbitt's side of the door. And those three officers decide to vacate or move away from the door. There's also a, a sergeant-at-arms representative there, a fellow in a coat and tie. Uh, he's there, and he's, he's communicating with those officers, and then he communicates with uh, four SWAT team members who arrive before Babbitt is shot. And so there, you can see from the videos there's some communication, and then the three officers move away from the door the SWAT officers don't take their place. Now, I think that would lead anybody to conclude that the police officers are abandoning the door or have no intention of defending the door. Might lead someone in Ashley Babbitt's shoes to think it's they can go on through there. Um, it's a, that's an interesting uh, aspect of it. The other thing is that on the other side of the door, on the uh, officer's side of the door, there's a number of police officers that can be seen. There's an officer, uniformed officer, about six feet away from him in another doorway. Then down the hallway, there are several more police officers. And they're all sort of, they don't come running up. If this officer was screaming announcements, you would think that they'd come running. But they don't come running up at all. So, um, but nevertheless, they are there to have stopped Ashley Babbitt if the officer needed assistance of any kind. Uh, and there are no members of Congress in the speaker's lobby at all. At so the time. At the time. At the time that this officer shoots, there's no member of Congress in that lobby. So I think all this adds up to a situation where the officer did not need to shoot and kill the lady. Would part of your case be figuring out why the police officers on Ashley Babbitt's side of the door and the SWAT team did not move to keep the crowd from climbing through or trying to enter? You're, you're right. That's exactly what we're going to try to find out, why that was. Uh, we'll find out. But it's clear that's what they're doing. 
they're actually abandoning the door. And um, it's an interesting fact of the case. More from attorney Terry Roberts after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today. We're back with Terry Roberts, attorney for Ashley Babbitt's widower. The only video that we've seen are video of the persons on Ashley's side of the door who are part of the same crowd. Um, There is a gentleman by the name of John Sullivan whose video I think is probably the best. Uh, He is standing, if you're on Ashley's side of the door, to the far left. we have that video, then we have video of other people that uh, show the scene. So what it shows is that uh, uh, you, you can see uh, a crowd of people come up to the door, the speaker's door. Uh, Ashley Babbitt is uh, part of that crowd. Then you can see some, some individuals, they do get physical, they start to hit the door break some of the windows. There are three officers present at that point. Um, The officers are uh, not arresting those individuals, not stopping them, but those officers who are in uniform eventually decide to move to their left, to to Ashley's right, against the wall, and they move out of the way. At that point, then, one of the side windows to the door is knocked out. And meanwhile, uh, the officers who, are, who have moved to the side are still standing there, and then a team of SWAT officers comes up the steps. There's a video showing the officers coming up the steps. And then they come up the steps and turn right and begin to talk to the sergeant of arms. The three officers who were standing in front of the door, they now start moving down the steps. Uh, It's at this point that Ashley gets up onto the ledge and she is shot before she even steps off the ledge. The officer, you can see the officer come out of the room uh, a step or two and shoot at, uh, deliberately shoot. It's not an accidental shooting, deliberately shoot fires one shot, Ashley falls back into, onto her side of the door, and there's, um, unfortunately, she, um, she's attended to by some of the officers. It takes a while for them to get uh, 
to get her out of there. She's not removed by a gurney or anything like that. Just sort of carried down the steps, and she um, she dies um, some minutes later. Have you learned anything about the background of the man that you think did this, the police officer that gives you any clue or pause for thought or informs you on this? Uh, I don't have a lot of information about his background. We know who he is. Um, uh, there are certain things I don't want to disclose today that I know. But um, until I have a look at his personnel file uh, and what his training is, what his disciplinary record is, I don't have a lot that I can offer you at this present time. Okay, and I know I said last question a minute ago, but maybe I thought of another one I wanted to ask. You know, a lot of people think that that looked like it was not a justified shooting, and there are a lot of people who think it was. In fact, a prevailing sentiment that I've read is these were insurrectionists who were going to threaten people's lives, and they deserved or she deserved what she got. Well, first of all, any decision you make about this should be informed by what the law is. And the the officers are trained in use of force. And the reason they're trained is that they are to comply with the law. We expect police officers to comply with the law. So uh, for someone to say, well, she got what she deserved without understanding what the law is, is not an informed decision, I would say. So um, I would only say that uh, People should reserve judgment till they have all the facts and understand the law. If this case happened out in Minneapolis uh, or some other place and it wasn't politically charged, I think that uh, most people would see this as an obvious case of excessive force. I mean, you have an unarmed lady, there's nothing, there's no indication that the officer thought that she was armed. He doesn't, she's not brandishing a weapon. Uh, so he's shooting an unarmed individual who is not assaulting him or threatening him. So if you were to put that case out in Minneapolis, change whatever, you know, forget about the racial components here, this would be an easy case of excessive force. I mean, I think it would be an obvious one. That's how people should look at this. I mean, we've had, we've heard of BLM members saying, look, we have to be consistent here. If somebody gets, is unarmed and gets shot, uh, we would call that, and if it was a black person, we would call that an excessive force, an, an instance of excessive force. It's really no different here. Lady is unarmed, she's not assaulted anybody, and she hasn't been given a warning. Uh, so uh, that wouldn't pass muster with anybody. In the news announcement from the prosecutors who said they were not going to charge the officer, they offered condolences and called this a tragedy, but said they did not have enough evidence to show that the officer did not think either he was under threat or he was protecting the lives of other people. Well, I think the video demonstrates clearly otherwise. I mean, we've all watched the video. Anybody uh, who watches the video can see that she's not a threat to the officer. 
I don't know how he could be thinking she is a threat. Uh, so just disagree with that. I mean, I've had police officers uh, communicate with me, send me emails saying, look, uh, I'm, a, I'm an instructor. I can tell you this doesn't, this is not in accordance with the training on the use of deadly force. That was Terry Roberts, attorney for Ashley Babbitt. You can watch our full episode of Full Measure, where you will hear about this and more on Sunday, May 2nd. We air across the nation. We feed to 43 million U.S. households every Sunday. You can find the list of stations and times by going to CherylAckison.com and click the Full Measure tab at the top. It has all of the instructions. You can also catch us if it's easier for you online at fullmeasure.news, live Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, fullmeasure.news, and replays there anytime. And we can be seen live and on demand on our free app called STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will subscribe to Full Measure After Hours, leave a great review and share it with your friends. Also watch out for the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast, where I continue talking about off-narrative and interesting topics that other people find too hot to handle or you're only hearing maybe one side of an issue on. Don't forget to check out also my bestseller, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. If you like this kind of reporting, I promise you will love Slanted and you will learn a lot about what's really behind the death of the news as we once knew it and what you can do about it. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.